0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Namihi mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. As I count down to the end of my time on the show, I'm reflecting on the wide range of stories I've made, the places I've been, and the amazing and generous people that I've met and interviewed. And there are just so many stories I'd like to share with you again, but I don't have time for all of them. Tonight, though, I've decided to revisit one that was a definite highlight with incredible sounds, an awesome location, and a great team, yet I never left home. This is Voice of the Iceberg. I'm Alison Balance, and this is Revelation, part two of a four-part audio adventure from RNZ, in which we join artist Joseph Michael and his team on an expedition to the Antarctic Peninsula. They're recording photos, film and audio of icebergs, that will be projected onto landmark buildings around the world, creating virtual bergs. In part one, we journeyed across the Drake Passage and recorded an iceberg that the team named Deacons. We met photographer Joseph Michael, behind the scenes director Ryan McNeil, safety guide Nick Fluvier, sound recordist Mark Michel, aka Mitch, and skipper of the yacht Australis, Roger Wallace. Now the team are hard at work finding, photographing and recording icebergs.
2: This is a New Zealander. We're fairly aware of Antarctica. There's a lot of connections there and we're we're always hearing stories about it. But, you know, finding out how huge it is. A lot of people don't really understand how huge it is. I certainly didn't. It's nice and dead out there with the snow today.
0: Oh, that's much easier when it's still like this. Yesterday was a bit of a mission.
2: Yeah. That's what's nice about this actually. See the little light dusting of snow we've got on it? Give it some beautiful highlights.
3: I'm Mike Williams and I'm physical oceanographer at NIWA and also director of the Deep South National Science Challenge. Antarctica has got all this ice because basically it's cold. So any rainfall or anything like that is always going to be snow. But what's important to understand about Antarctica is there's actually two types of ice. There's uh, sea ice, which is frozen seawater, and then we have uh, the continental ice. And that's where we get our icebergs from. So although we always evoke the image of icebergs being adrift adrift in the sea, they're actually land ice that has come off the continent and is um, drifting out to sea.
2: This is really interesting. I like this one, there. Eh? Look, even, even in through here, it's beautiful. And look at the lines. It's like um, dripping paint.
0: Backberg, Bigberg.
3: right right, Bigberg. there are different kinds of icebergs um, some we describe by their shape so for example we talk about um, tabular icebergs um, which are the sort of the big flat square ones and then we also um, define icebergs by their names and there's some great names for example very small ones we talk about as um, bergie bits um, but then once we get to the larger ones they're kind of the names are a bit less exciting it's kind of small medium large extra large. Brash ice, just the really small ones, all this really small broken up stuff, yeah, once they get as big, as big as the boat sort of thing, you've got to cool them icebergs in. Icebergs, okay. <laughs> yeah. By the time you yeah, have big growlers, you don't want to hit big growlers at speed. You can damage the prop or dent the hull or just knock your paintwork around. Brash ice doesn't do much harm at all. Any of, this, any of this ice is really too big and too hard to hit at speed. You can sort of bump into it a bit of glancing blow, but once the bergs get too big you don't want to get your rigging caught up in them. Or, yeah.
2: um, And then you've got to think of uh, your propeller and rudder.
4: Every iceberg is, is different, it's like the flames of a fire, it's just all
3: different, just continually different. Yeah. You just wonder how there can be so many different shapes. As scientists, when we try and study icebergs or, or try and incorporate them into into our models and, and things like that, is we have to start treating them a, as cubes with with rules, um, which really doesn't capture their, their individual nature. Icebergs, um, icebergs have been carved by nature over time um, by the little processes where little things have melted, where where individual waves have have eroded icebergs. Um, where they've rolled, where they've collided, um, they're, they're a bit like people who have a life story, they, uh, and, and it's their life story that is, has that is shaped how they are when we see them.
2: I can't fit it in any of my lenses. I need to go wider. I've got here. Oh,
5: okay. I got guess top? the easiest way to explain scale and size would be to liken them to large buildings, (laughs) you know, we are looking at pieces of ice which above the water uh, look like a fairly large three-storey building and uh, realizing that below the surface there's even more under there. There's there's this immense piece of ice deep down under the water below the boat as well. Quite a sense of scale, make you feel pretty small.
2: There's no choice. We'll go around this and then we might pull up alongside and just send Nick up the crow's nest just to see, because we might come back with the drone.
5: I grabbed the hold of the fleet of GoPros and ended up being the guy that would climb the mast and fix cameras around the place. And I really spent a lot of time up the mast. If we were photographing or um, surface mapping the, the bigger icebergs, I would be up the mast. I loved being able to see into the water. I really, really remember that. Um, I, I could see the ice below the surface, and at times when we're motoring around a big iceberg with a soaring wall much higher than the mast, if I look down into the water, I could see that there's you know, reefs of ice below the boat that we're motoring over. You know, there's this immense amount of ice below the surface that, that we just couldn't see from on deck.
3: We talk about the tip of the iceberg and, and the reason for that story is that we know around about a seventh to a tenth of the iceberg is all that's visible above the water uh, and the rest is sitting down below the water. And and that comes just from the, the different density that ice has to water. So if we've got lots of ice and snow then the, then the iceberg will sit a bit higher in the water but if it's pure ice it will sit lower. And what that means, of course, is as the iceberg gets smaller, its top sits lower and lower and lower. Um, So we're able to make some really good estimates about how much of an iceberg is underwater just by looking at the the shape of what we can see above water. So we visualise the... The big ones um, as being tens of metres tall um, or hundreds of kilometres long, but icebergs can be any size down to a couple of metres um, floating in the ocean with their heads just above the water.
2: Yoko was a very small berg, it's only, um, you know, two and a half metres, wide, very delicate. And it was just a peculiar-looking thing. It was unusual, and it was something that we hadn't seen before. And that was what I was looking for. I was looking for different shapes and different surfaces and also different-looking icebergs. So it wasn't a clear iceberg, but it was a very blue-looking colour. And it it had an unusual look to it. It was it had very thin ice flakes on it. And as we got closer, I mean, we were... We were probably still 10 metres or so away from it. Over the the sound of the engine, I could hear the, this popping and cracking coming from it. And so I think before I even photographed it, I sent Mitch in with the hydrophone to capture what the hell was going on. You
5: know, I remember Yoko. Mark and I uh, went out in the tender together, and Yoko was relatively small. Was Beautiful, sculptured, um, quite, quite a melted iceberg, so very good glassy ice. The light refracting through that was quite something. But that was all about sound when we went out with Mark.
2: It was bubbling and fizzing away. It kind of sounded like that magic gum you have as a kid, or, or like bacon and eggs. And there was these tiny little flakes of ice. That are sort of cracking and breaking. Um, it was yeah, it was amazing. It's fantastic.
4: Yoko was um, an angry little thing, um, incredibly boisterous. Um, it was quite small, but um, quite a dense ice, so quite an, an older. Um, ice in its um, in its makeup, and it was fizzing and crackling and spitting, um, almost like it was on fire. It had this um, this this kind of this um, ember burning uh, sonic to it, um, and it was incredible that something so small could be emanating such an incredibly loud and and sonic. So, I started um, just cruising around Yoko with um, the stereo mics, um, using a uh, mono mic as well, so that I could try and target some of the real particular sounds that were happening within it. And also, started using the hydrophone at this point around the, um, the icebergs. I think this is the first iceberg that I used the hydrophone. And again, that was producing a lot of really loud pops and, and fizzes.
3: Because of that whole compression process when, it, when the snow was turned into ice, as it gets squeezed then all the air that was trapped inside the ice, or inside the snow and the ice, um, is all compressed, and the gas is squeezed down into bubbles at, at really high pressure. A little bit like if it's in a dive tank or a, or a um, CO2 cylinder in a soda stream. So then when we um, pop that piece of ice in water and it starts melting, and the gas just start bubbling out of that and generates a little bit of fizz in the ice.
5: It was quite something here in that popping, crackling. It was constant, constantly cracking and popping. And Yoko was the only one that seemed to do... She, she just did that... Uh, the other icebergs, depending on where you went around them, you would hear different sounds. Sometimes you drop the hydrophone in the water and you might hear cracking and popping. Other icebergs, the, the deep booming sounds that y- you'd capture, I, I, uh, I was amazed at the all the frequencies we were hearing, deep, deep, deep booming sounds right up to really high treble cracking and pops. They're alive, they're constantly changing, everything's moving, sort of impermanent, I guess.
3: So once it's drifting around the ocean, the uh, the two things that are going to control where it goes are the wind and the, and the ocean currents, and, and they act to steer the, the iceberg. But at the same time, what's also happening is the bottom is melting. Um, it's, it's now exposed to much warmer water underneath, and so it's, the bottom is slowly melting away, and that starts to make it nice and round and smooth. And we also we have waves hitting the side of the iceberg, and the waves start... Um, carving away at the side of the ice, the iceberg. So, it starts to become unstable as uh, as it melts in different places and erodes in different places. So it will potentially roll, or big pieces will come off it, um, or it will carve many icebergs off the side of it. So, it becomes a very dynamic beast that changes its shape um, and its orientation as it as it goes through its journey, which could be, um, in some cases, decades because if they don't escape from Antarctica they still stay in relatively cold water so they can survive for a long time.
2: From early on I, I wanted to find some way of representing scale. In a lot of my landscape photographs it's very hard to figure out exactly how how big the landscape is. You know, It's, it's very easy if you put a boat or if you put something in the frame but I like to keep especially my photography, I, I like to keep the landscape as pure as possible so there was just an, an answer that, to that question is how I would represent um, Antarctica and icebergs in a way that um, doesn't involve putting a, a human object in there. That sort of developed into the scale as, as all the buildings that we're, we're surrounded by around the city um, you know, are quite rep- representative of, of what icebergs look and feel like and so it just seemed logical to take an iceberg and wrap a building. I knew I wanted to map these icebergs, but I didn't entirely know the the correct procedure for that, or how I would do it, or how it would become useful in post, Or because they're they're not definite shapes. They're kind of circles, and um, they have many sides to them. (laughs) So Roger's going to take us on a bit of a tiki tour around, So he reckons there's some really spectacular ones over the other side, and then, then we can go and get a feel, come back tonight, and then work out a couple to sort of map and maybe on the way out. When we first went out, we went out in the Zodiac and, and we were circling around in the Zodiac, and then we worked out that that wasn't going to be appropriate for, for mapping the bergs. No problem, then we had to call in the big guns, and and we actually you know, we circumnavigated the, the icebergs with the, with the big yacht. That's good. Yep.
0: So my name is um, Thomas Helita, and I'm an actual cinematographer or photographer. So I was sort of a visual Swiss army knife in a way. Just keep an eye on the
2: sounder.
0: We would ask the captain of the boat to to sail around it, to rotate around it, and I would basically be on deck and try to capture as many photos of the side of the iceberg, of the, the actual cliffs as the boat was moving.
2: We would literally travel from one iceberg and then we would loop around it a couple of times. If you could
3: just uh, pop it in neutral just as we cruise onto this corner, Roger, it
2: would be good. He would detect the iceberg on the radar and depending on how far I wanted to be away. Say if I wanted to be 10 or 20 metres away, he would just set it on the radar and keep that radius from the iceberg as we travelled around just look right around it again Roger um, next up high he just wants to get a glimpse into the inside just to see the path a, that the boat that takes is perfect. a GPS map of it and that people can research that on the internet and so back home Roger was getting emails from people wondering why we were doing all these circly loopy weird um, trips in the boat because we were circling round and round icebergs and it looked really strange that they hadn't seen that before there we go there was a number of um, things that I wanted to capture so um, I, I was mapping photographically mapping the icebergs so I had Thomas was um, helping me with the, the assistance of mapping the icebergs I would operate one camera on a wider lens and Thomas would be on a tighter lens capturing um, photographic panels so we had huge re- resolution plates of the icebergs
0: and then later on, in the in the post-production process, we would actually ask the software to stitch, to put all the photos together. A good metaphor is an orange skin. So you imagine how the iceberg is an orange and you can just imagine peeling off um, the skin of the orange and put it flat. And then we would project this, wrap this in a way around the building when we got back in Auckland.
2: So the aim was to, to find you know, at least at least ten icebergs that we could photographically map, um, and the the other thing that was was essential was to to and difficult obviously is to capture um, ice crashing and carving off the side of the icebergs and glaciers, so we can then um, use that a, a, as part of the installation. Well, so if there's an archway in a building, we'll, we'll probably use that and try and.
1: With uh, Valentine, it was February.
2: It was close to um, a rock outcrop, so we could film the iceberg from it, and it had this That's huge, huge one. archway that looked like it was about to collapse.
3: Oh, this piece in the middle of the archway
2: looks like it's just ready to drop. So the rest of the team spent a whole day sitting in front of Valentine to um, to capture this ginormous archway.
4: Yeah, I've got a. There's a pre-record function on the camera which I'll enable, which means I can just wait for the moment that the, the ice falls, hit the button, and it will record the previous 20, 30 seconds. So it's a good little feature, which hopefully means we can grab it, but it's about hit and because it's pretty unpredictable. Part of it carved off during the day. We were sitting there, and we spent a good 10 hours or more, I think, all day, and right up into the evening. Of course, it's not dark until 10 or 11, and um, we got some, some fabulous footage, and I got some great audio. And we were just waiting. We knew that this archway was going to move at some point.
2: Valentine, I got up about 5 am and the light was really nice. Some mornings you would just get a little tickle of sunrise. So I, I grabbed my camera while the other guys were getting the rest of the camera gear ready and I went out on the Zodiac and went round and filmed it. Mitch jumped in with me. She's
4: got a big crack and that crack is starting to get bigger. So a reasonable amount's going to carve off it and I'm sitting here ready with my audio gear um, and it's going to go in the next couple few hours,
2: we think. So I dropped him off on a a rock, and I went round and I took a series of photographs, and then I went back to the boat to get the other guys, and um, we were getting all the cameras, and they were preparing for a whole, you know, another 16 hours in front of this iceberg.
4: I sat there by myself while the crew were... um... While the team were getting ready to to get all the equipment set up, probably about 50 meters away, sitting on a rock. And I had a couple of microphones set up the stereo mic set up and surround, as well as the um, surround sound microphone. And it started really moving. And I realized that it probably wasn't too far away. There were large slabs that were breaking off from the top of the archway. And there were um, parts that were starting to carve off. So I was there on my Todd and uh, really hoping that the crew would get back so that they could witness it visually. And then she went. And it was, um, yeah, pretty awe-inspiring and um, a little bit nerve-wracking because when the whole thing completely collapsed, it sent out a massive shower of large chunks of ice. So in the recording itself, you can actually hear it collapse over a period of time, its final collapse, and then a whole range of uh, baseball, softball size, pieces of ice um, spraying all around me, at which point I was diving for cover and just making sure the microphone was still working, hoping not to get hit.
2: As we were loading the gear back into the boat I looked over and could see it, you know, off in the distance and something looked different about the horizon and um, what had happened is the whole archway had collapsed. So when we we turned up, Mitch had recorded the whole thing and, and he witnessed the whole archway collapsing. But we we sort of arrived to this destruction and what happens when an iceberg breaks apart is you get this brash ice in, in the water and it, it sort of splinters. It's reminiscent of coming into a cyclone or a, an earthquake and as you come close to the iceberg, you, you're greeted with this wall of ice cubes, we call it brash ice. So it breaks apart and it spreads out into the water and so before you can even get to the iceberg you sort of discover this and so then we, we were sort of wading our way through the carnage to get close to it.
4: So the one that got away for the team, um, so I feel incredibly privileged that I was able to um, to witness it myself and to be able to record it and, uh, yeah, quite a quite a lovely thing to um, to have all on my own, I suppose, um, even though the, the, the rest of the team didn't get to experience it.
1: That was Revelation, part two of Voice of the Iceberg. You heard from Joseph Michael, Ryan McNeil, Mark Michelle, a.k.a. Mitch, Nick Fluvier, and Thomas Haletta, as well as scientist Mike Williams. The Voice of the Iceberg podcast series was produced and edited for RNZ by me, Alison Balance, with field audio from Ryan McNeil and Mark Michelle, and sound engineering by Mark Chesterman. Music by Rian Sheehan was composed for Antarctica. While You Were Sleeping, an exhibition projecting a digital iceberg onto the exterior of the Auckland War Memorial Museum as part of the 2017 Auckland Arts Festival. (laughs) Voice of the Iceberg won Best Creative Feature at the 2018 New Zealand Radio Awards. It's a timeless tale that is well worth visiting again, especially with headphones on. Those icebergs sound incredible. Once you've finished Voice of the Iceberg, there is always Voices from Antarctica from last year. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ First Ed on the 8th of April 2021. It featured one of my favourite stories from the very extensive Our Changing World archive. You can find said archive and listen again at our webpage, rnz.co.nz ourchangingworld World. If you click on the Collections tab you'll find the Voice of the Iceberg series and Voices from Antarctica. The website is also where you can sign up for our free email newsletter, and if you click the podcast tab at the top of the page, you'll find all of RNZ's podcasts and video series. Enjoy! Follow us on your favourite podcast app, and follow us also on Facebook and Twitter where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company, stay safe, and catch you next time. Kia pai to rā.